This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, so what I want to say to Rosh Hashiva, I want to say to all the boys here. So I, I have a school and, and, um, for girls, and some of you know about, not the girls, but some of you know that I have a school. <laughs> and so I try to raise money for this school, and this very rich person that I went to raise money from said to me, you know, you're showing me all these girls, and you know, I'm talking about my high school, not my, my seminary, my high school are girls that have had challenges in life, not their fault, um, gone through trauma, and struggling with Baruch Hashem, we're doing a lot of good things, and I, and I brought this man in to meet the girls. And this girl had this story, and this girl had this story, and this girl went through this, and this girl went through this, and it was very, very... You know, they, they actually put their hearts on the table, which is hard to do when you go through things. And the guy was actually crying. He was a very rich, you know, tough guy. And he was actually crying. And when he walked out, I said to him, so, you're going to help me out? And he said, well, you showed me the raw product, but you didn't show me the end product. I'm, I'm, not, I'm a businessman. I don't give money for raw product. Show me some girls that graduated. Show me some success stories. So, Baruch Hashem... I had some, some graduates, and, and he met those graduates, and, and he, it was interesting because this guy asked them, we went out for dinner, and he asked them, your Rabbi Wallstein's success, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to each, he, he asked each girl, what does success mean to you? These are kids, man, from the street, man. They, 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 know, they, know, you know, they know what's going on. So like this guy with his money, he's coming in and trying to shake up these girls. So one girl looks at him and says, well, you're the big man, so you tell us what success is. <laughs> and he's like, um, um, I'm like, yeah, how about that? Of course, we didn't get any money. <laughs> but, but anyway, so Baruch Hashem, he, he did help us. He's a good guy. He did help us. And, and, and you know, he's right. You know, the raw product is the raw product, but show me, your, show me your final product. Show me what you're producing. So the reason I'm st- telling you this is that my son-in-law, Srili Kyler, um, was here for three years. Two years he was married, and one year he was single. <laughs> no, my daughter, my, daughter, my daughter was in America, and he was here. So, so there was, and the phones didn't work between America for that year, so there was no way they knew each other. But I want to talk about the product. So I didn't know Srili when he came to... I didn't, I didn't know Srili when he came to Medrash. My son-in-law... And he doesn't want me to tell you this, but I want to tell you this so that you understand that. That even the boys who leave Medrash and they get married and for whatever reason they left. And, they, and So Srili's a guy who you know, wants to make money, wants to work, wants to get up there. His father has a business. And Srili Kyle learns every single day from early in the morning. I cannot reach him by phone. He will not even turn on his phone until 12.30 every single day before he goes to work. <laughs> And well, he goes to Basikin and then he starts learning. I don't know. I'm just, I don't know if he goes to Basikin, but he knows he's, he's out by, he's definitely learning by nine for sure. It's not, it's not like Yeshiva that you start at ten. When you become a Balabat, you have to start at nine. For all the Balabatim, you know, the Yeshiva world looks at us like, yeah, you're a bunch of Balabatim. But let me tell you something about Balabatim. There's two things about Balabatim. We don't have Bain Hastorim. And we don't have Ben Hasmanim. So, like, take it, e- take it easy on us. But anyway, but, but Lemaisa, to me, to me, 
to me, that's a finished product. Why? Because once you're, once you're in the business world and you, we, we think that the more I work, the more money I'm going to make, to, to take a half a day, a young guy, to take a half a day and sit and learn and you cannot be reached, the yeshiva gets credit for that. All right, enough about Trilly. He's not here. I don't have to compliment him. I also would like to say Mazel Tov to Rosh Hashiva. And the Rosh Hashiva has never asked me for advice. He doesn't need my advice. But I have to show off a little. So a year, not even a year ago, um, I spoke here. Maybe a year ago, I spoke here. And I met the Rosh Hashiva and the Rebbitzin outside. And they said, we have a daughter, and we'd like to know if you maybe know a shidduch, that, you know, a good boy for our daughter. And I looked at the Rosh Hashiva and I said, you're asking me? I mean, you're not going to get anyone better than a Medrash guy. And I heard that the Rosh Hashiva took my advice. Sure, I, I didn't understand the question. I, I think she was just being nice to me. You know, go look around, go look around. I got my boy picked out anyway, but go look around. See, see if you can find someone. Okay, so let's talk about, let's talk about tonight. Let's talk about tomorrow. Let's talk about Tu Bishvat. You know, when you're little kids, Tu Bishvat well, Tu Bishvat So, I, as gro- growing up, it was like really great having Tu Bishvat because in yeshiva, as a little kid, they would bring this little bag and you'd have dried apricots and dried, pr- dried prunes and then for some reason, boxer. I don't know what we were supposed to do with that stuff, right? It smelled bad, it tasted bad, and it broke your teeth, but for some reason it was like, what? It's carob. Oh, you don't know what boxer is. It's carob. It takes 150 years for, for that thing to grow, and it takes 300 years to eat it. So, right. Actually, I think the Gemara explains that it's, it's, it's animal food, actually. It's not even for humans, really. It's, they used to eat that, whatever. But anyway, but we were very excited because... You know, we got our figs and all that stuff. And, and I never understood, like, what's this big yontif? Now, how do we know it's a very big yontif? Because all you guys are going to be so happy tomorrow that you'll be able to learn three minutes or three and a half minutes more, right, three and a half minutes more than every day because you're not going to say tachanun tomorrow because it's a yontif, right? So you don't have to put your head down on your hand, try to find your stender. And it's not, okay, it's not a really good two bishvat because if it were to come out on... Thursday, then we take five, eight minutes. Okay, but it's pretty good. Anyway, somebody, some people hold that you don't say Tachanun on Thursday either because it's Isruchag. Okay, whatever. It's, it's, we'll have to ask Rosh Hashiva if they can, we can bend that. But anyway, it's... Right. Oh, very good. So it's not even Isruchag. Oh, so we don't have to say Thursday and Friday. Okay, I know a Stiebel that would be very happy with you. Very happy. Now I know why I came here tonight. So... So my question is, not to say Tachanun is a real yontif. You're not allowed to fast tomorrow. You're not allowed to say, you don't say Tachanun. It's a real yontif. Now everyone here knows, right? The mission of Rosh Hashanah, Abba Rosh Hashanah Mehem, right? There's, there's a Rosh Hashanah for Maisa Behemis. That makes more sense to have like, not to say Tachanun, right? So we say Tachanun. There's a Rosh Hashanah for Lamalachim. Say Tachanun. Why? Rosh Hashanah for trees is the time not to say Tachanun that it's such a big yantif. 
Now, in Eretz Yisrael, you won't understand this question so well, but in New York right now, where we're freezing, it's snowed, it's ice, it's miserable, slushy, don't, you don't have to miss anything in New York. So I had a meeting with my class on Rosh Hashanah, two Bishvat, we'd go out, and we'd walk up to the first tree that we see, and we'd say, Happy New Year! How you doing? <laughs> Trees have no leaves, they have no flowers, they're dead. I mean, they're dead, and now they're frozen dead, okay? So here you are on Tuba Shvat, everyone's having a big party tonight. You look out your window, there's a bunch of frozen trees. I mean, if you're going to make a New Year's for trees, how about like Pesach time? Leaves and blossoms, and it's nice. What's this yuntiv? You look outside, and there's dead trees. The yuntiv is extremely, extremely now we all know there's a machlekes between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel. Well, most of us know that. Beis Shammai says that when Shoshana was on Rosh, on Rosh Chodesh two weeks ago, and Beis Shammai says it is on the 15th day. And I remember, excuse me all for saying this, but I remember my Rebbe, when we learned this mission, I was a little kid, and he's like, this is right, Wallerstein? Beis Shammai says, Rosh Chodesh Shvat? Beis Hillel says, Tum Shvat. And I said, who cares? <laughs> like, what's the difference in my life if it's on What's the basis of this machlekes? Or two bishvat? Like, who is that going to make a difference to anyone in this room? Oh man, Rosh Hashanah was two weeks ago and you missed it. Really? Yeah, for trees. Oh, have a good day. <laughs> so what's really going on here? So you all know that what's, what's the machlekes, what's the basis of the machlekes? That this, we're celebrating the sap, right? The sap that goes into the roots of the estric tree. That's why t- tonight and tomorrow you're supposed to dive in really hard that you have a beautiful estrig this year. See, even that you have to dive in for. Even if you have money. Uh, that can be translated many different ways. The Rosh Hashiva said you should become an estrig. Okay. Whatever that means. It has a very deep meaning. I'm not going to get into it. Right? You should become an estrig. Okay. Have a bunch of guys walking around in the next year. But anyway. So, so... You're supposed to dive in. You're supposed to dive. Now you can say to me, well, I have to dive in. I got 200 bucks. I'm going to go buy an S-Rig. I'm going to ask the guy to give me the box in the back, you know, that they don't show to anybody. The one that they have in the back for all the Rishishivas. And, and uh, you know, I have to know. Yeah, but then what happens is, if you didn't dive for your S-Rig, it's going to fall. Someone's going to scratch it. The pitum's going to break off. You don't have a pitum. You may get an S-Rig. That's not, that's not Billy Morco. Who knows what's going to happen. So you're supposed to dive in for your, even for your S-Rig. Imagine. You have to down for a zebuk, you have to down for health, you have to down for everything, you have to also down for an estric. So the machlaikis is, Beishamai says the sap comes up Rosh Chodesh, Beishilah says the sap comes up to Bishvat. So tonight we are celebrating, we're not saying Tachanah tomorrow. If anyone asks you, boys, why aren't you saying Tachanah tomorrow? And the answer is, thank you to the sap that's going into the estric tree. I still don't have my answer. I still don't have my answer. That's why you shouldn't say Tachanah? There's a very... Very deep explanation to this whole yuntif that we're going to have tonight. Every fruit that you're going to eat tonight, first of all, it's a lesson in, I always talk about people who judge other people by chitzonius. So when you look at a tree tonight, it looks dead. But the fruit that you're eating tonight, the apple that you're eating, last year, the tree that it came from looked dead. If you were to walk by, you'd say, this tree has nothing happening. It looks dead. That apple, every fruit you're going to eat tonight is coming from a tree that last year on Tu Bishvat, if you looked at it, this guy can't, there's nothing happening. 
this boy, there's nothing happening. So a year later, the tree that you're celebrating with Shoshanah, you're eating its fruit. Never judge a tree by its cover. Or lack of cover. And it's a lesson, it's a lesson in life because in Kabbalah we learn that a person is compared to the Eitz Hasada. And therefore, just like an Eitz Hasada has seasons, and the Rosh Hashiva knows this, this yeshiva is based on this, that just like the tree has seasons, it has a fall where its leaves fall off, it has a winter where it looks dead, it has a spring where it's starting to blossom, it has a summer where there's a fruit, a human being is also an Eitz Hasada. We have times that we're doing amazing, that we're blossoming. We have times that the leaves are falling off, but they're changing color. We have times that we look like that dead tree, and it looks like it's over, but then there's another spring. And it's an interesting thing, because Pesach time we make a bracha on fruit trees, right? You make a special bracha on fruit trees in the month of Nisan, but there's no fruit on those trees. You only make a, a, a bracha on the flower. Why don't you wait till the apple comes out? Make a bracha on the apple. And the answer is, that the Jewish nation, HaKadosh Baruch our nation, our Torah, everything that we stand for, is potential. It's not the end product like this guy wanted to see. It's the potential. That's why you go to a wedding and you spend a lot of money. I just went to a wedding in Terrace on the Park. This guy had over a thousand people there. He had a 21-piece band. I heard the flowers were, I don't know who not. The guy spent so much money, Right? And even if you don't spend that much money, a wedding costs a lot of money. And a lot of people show up. And I have a friend who just got fed up with writing checks to Hassan and Kalas. Because the smart thing to do is when you get the invitation, you have, an, you have a return envelope, put the check in there. Because when you go to the wedding, you're going to forget your checkbook. Then you're going to, how, how am I going to find them? And then when your kid gets married, they're not going to send you any money. Right? So the best thing is you get the invitation, you get the return card, put your check in, have a good day. This guy told me, I am done. I'm not doing this no more. I write a $180 check and I post-date it five years. I'm like, what? He's like, I post-dated five years. I'm like, why? He goes, do you know how many weddings I sent money into? They were divorced within a year? Then they get remarried, then I got to send them another check? You know what? If they stay married five years, let them put the check in. <laughs> Honestly, he's a smart guy. You know, when you get these, when we, were, when we got married in the old days, so... They didn't give you a check. They didn't give you money. They gave you American or Israeli bonds. Now, let's say a $100 bond, they buy for $60, and then 10 years later, it becomes worth $100. They knew what they were doing. They're like, yeah, we'll see if they make $100 on this. Right? We'll see if that lasts 10 years. So, he's right. What are you getting so excited about? Maybe, yeah, maybe no. Maybe it'll last a year. Maybe it'll last 100 years. I don't know. Things the way they're going today. Who knows? Right? So, the celebration and the money and the flowers and the musicians we should take out at the 50th anniversary. They're married for 50 years. They didn't kill each other. They're still there, right? And they have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Now that's a party, right? Success! 50 years married together. But for some reason, if you ever went to, you had the schuss to go to a 50th anniversary of your grandparents, great-grandparents, Right? They call the family, small group of family. They go to a restaurant. They buy one card. 
that was a couple of balloons with a big 50 number on it. Spend about $200, right? The grand, great-grandparents, they can't eat steak anymore anyway. You don't, <laughs> don't got to buy them any expensive food, right? Or whatever it is. They're dead tired after two hours. They're like, take me home already, right? So you don't... And the band is always too loud, so you don't need music, right? You don't need music. You don't need... It's a cheap day. It's very cheap, right? Well, I don't understand that. That is fruition. That happened. We see the pay rise. You don't make the bracha when you see the pay rise. You make the bracha when you see the flower. You celebrate Tu Bishvat when there are no leaves on the tree. That's Judaism. That's Yiddishkeit. And that's why we make a wedding and 900 people show up because you're taking a single girl and a single boy and you're putting them together. And all of a sudden there's a potential that was never there before. The potential of a bias, a bias neman, a house that does chesed. There's the potential of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. There's the potential of shalom, of a keli that Hashem can pour and pour and pour all his good into. You know what? That's a reason to party. The potential of those two is a reason to party and to make this wedding. And that everyone who sings and dances at the wedding gets a mitzvah, misameach, chasen, and kala. Maybe it won't work. Maybe they're not going to be happy in, 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 in a week or two or a month or three months or six months. But we're, we're being misameach, the potential of these two people. By a Jew, that is the greatest simcha that a Jew can have. And that's what Tu B'Shvat's all about. What are we celebrating? Why aren't we saying Tachanun? Because the potential that we learn from a tree, the eight hasada, you look at the tree, you walk outside, you're like, you are dead, man! There's not a leaf on you, I don't see nothing! Hashem said, that's right, you don't see nothing. But there's sap coming into the roots that you can't see. And any good Rebbe, and any good parent, any good Rosh Hashiva, has the, the ones that are good, the ones that are able to create this yeshiva has to be someone who when looks at a boy and there are no leaves and there are no blossoms and there are no fruits and this kid comes in here and he's like, coming from a place that's not such a great place and the yeshiva's like, this guy just came to my yeshiva, he's amazing. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's amazing. I know him in New York. He's like... <laughs> I knew of him. He's, he's one of the, one of the ten, ten most wanted in Lakewood. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Right? Never look at the tree. Have the ability to know that the sap is flowing in the roots. And if the sap flows in the roots, sooner or later, there'll be leaves, there'll be flowers, and there'll be payrace. That's Tu That's the deepness and the secret behind Tu and the Rosh Hashiva just said something very deep. I don't know if he meant it, he didn't mean it, I don't know exactly what he meant, but he'll tell us if he meant it or he didn't. The esrig represents a person's heart. Right? We know the leaves, the, 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 the spine is the lulav, and the aravas is the mouth, and the hadassim are the eyes. The esrig represents a person's heart. And the Mishnah in Perkei says that a lev toiv encompasses all. Ayin Tov, Shachin Tov, it encompasses it all. So sort of in a deep way, when it comes to Tu Bishvat, and you realize that even though things look dead, they're very much alive, 
than what's going to happen to you when you have that realization in life about potential and that everybody has potential and every situation has potential. You become, you, you become a glaive toiv. You become a good heart. The, the things that make people have bad hearts is when they become very judgmental. But the esrig is something even bigger than that. The esrig is the tzaddik. The esrig is called the tzaddik. Why? Because the esrig has both panemius and chitzainius. It smells good, and inside it tastes good. So the tzaddik, chitzainius is good, and the panemius is good. The lulav tastes good, because tomorrow come, dates come from it, but it has no smell. So the inside of it's good, the outside is no good. Hadasim are the other way around. Their chitzainius are good, but if you ever taste the hadasim, they're very bitter. So the esrig is the tzaddik, and these two are bainanim. One is good on the outside, not good on the inside. One's good on the inside, not good on the outside. The Russia, the Russia is the Arabis. The Arabis don't smell good, and the Arabis don't taste good. And therefore, the halacha is that when you hold the Shloshaminim and you hold the Esrig, the Arabo touches the Esrig. And the reason. You don't turn around. The Hadassim are touching the Esrig. It's no good. The Arabas are touching the Esrig. A great tzaddik said that an Esrig alone, a tzaddik alone, who doesn't affect the people who are struggling, the Rishon and Kala Yisrael, is no tzaddik. So the Esrig has to touch the Arava. And that's how you hold them. Yes, trust me, I'm not making it up. Your Esrig is held next to your Arava. Hadassim is on this side. Arava is on this side. Esrig is touching your Arava. So not only, not only a leif tov, but not just for yourself, but for others. And so we daven on a very deep way. So we daven on Hashem Esra. You don't say tachman. It's a very big yantar for Klai Yisrael. When, when a person, the biggest, the greatest mazel tov to a person is when he realizes that he has potential. So I'm here in Eretz Yisrael before I get into my my main message. I'm here in Eretz Yisrael because it's my father's Allah Shalom's yard site on, on Friday. I always come for his yard site. Who I am standing up here today is totally him. My mother and him, but he shaped me. My ruchnius and everything that I do. I want to tell you, I'm going to tell you three stories. I'm going to tell you two stories and one little teeny short story. I want to tell you two stories about my father. So, my relationship with my father was we were pretty much inseparable. Ball, we played together. Learn, we played together. Trips, we did together. His whole life was his children. And we knew that. His three kids. But I was the most like him. So I was very, very close to him. Business, everything I did, my father, my father, my father. We were inseparable. Guys were always like, Zachary, you got to be independent. You know, why are you going with your father? Go with us. I'm like, I enjoy my father more than you. <laughs> Should I tell you? He also pays for everything, so. <laughs> you guys don't pay for anything, so hey. So I want you to understand my relationship with him. I would die for him. I would kill for him. I would do anything for this man, okay? The greatest love of anybody in this whole world was my dad. So I get married. And my father was very mocked in Tefillah B'Tzibur. It was his thing. It wasn't in in those days. It wasn't. It's much more in today. So, but he was very mocked in, in Tefillah B'Tzibah, and I knew that. So I get married, and 
I got to go on a honeymoon. So my parents were in Florida. All the old people were in Florida in the Crown Hotel. I'm not going to Florida. I'm going on a honeymoon. So I decided I'm going to the Bahamas. Okay? Not that far from Florida. I'm going to the Bahamians, to the Bahamas. Okay? So I'm going to the Bahamas. I'm going to the Bahamas. There's no Jews there. And me and my wife, we just got married. You know, I, don't, I want to be left alone. Fine. So I go to the Bahamas. It's a true story. I go to the Bahamas. It should be a chutz for his neshama. And we fly. We fl- not that I went to the Bahamas, no. <laughs> so there was an airline called Eastern Airlines. They had one flight from New York to the Bahamas. We go to the Bahamas. It's like my dream. I never went to a place like this. And we come to the Bahamas, and we, we, we settle into the hotel. And I call my father to say goodnight. He's in Florida. I'm in the Bahamas. Hi, Dad. Hi, Zachariah. How you doing? Where are you? I'm like, well, I'm with Esty in the Bahamas. Gets quiet. I'm like, hi, Dad. What's going on? He goes, you have a minion in the Bahamas? True story. I'm like, come on. I'm back. I'm, I'm, I'm flying to Miami on Thursday so that I'm with him for Shabbos. I'm like, I'm not going to miss minion on Shabbos. During the week, come on, Dad. It's honey lunch. Come back. Come on. You know. Now, I can't even explain this to you because you don't understand my relationship with my father, but I want to tell you what he said on the phone to me. He said, you have to go to the Bahamas where there's no minion. He said, if you're not in shul tomorrow morning, our relationship is totally over. I'm like, well, bad, bad, bad. Hold on. Hold on. First of all, how am I going to get there tomorrow morning? He said, I don't care how you get there. I'm telling you now that if you miss Minion tomorrow morning, I don't even understand what was going through your head when you booked this. Just Minion went out the door because you got married. If you're not in Minion tomorrow morning, we're done. And he hung up the phone. I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. So I turned to my wife. I said, um... I just spoke to my father. Yeah, what's doing? I'm like, we need to go to Miami tomorrow morning. She goes, why? I'm like, it's my fault, SD. I shouldn't have done this, but I don't have a minion here a whole week. Now, Rabbi Gamliel, my rabbi who knows this story, says, the credit goes to your wife because she, she's like, what do you mean? Your father's running our life? We got married. What? He's telling you what we're doing? We're on honeymoon? He's telling you what? What? Get out of here. We're going to start a marriage this way? He's running a marriage? No. She didn't say that. She said, I'm not happy. <laughs> we'll give it a try. I'm like, Esty, don't worry. There's no morning flights. We'll go to the airport. I'm going to call him from the airport. I'll say, Dad, I tried. I listened to you. I'm in the airport. There's no flights. So we go to the airport the next morning, 6.30, thinking it's an hour away from Miami by plane. So maybe there's an 8.30, 9 o'clock minion. I go there and thinking there's no minion, I'm going to call him. And I look up at the Eastern Airlines. They have one flight a day, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I'm like, yes! Until 3 p.m., he can't say anything, you know. At least we have until 3 p.m. And as you can ask my wife, as we're walking out, there's a little airline called Bohemian Airlines. Flight. I think it was a quarter to seven, something like that. Mamish, when we were there. I'm like, oh, man. Is he, he going to call the airport, find out if I'm lying? I don't know, whatever. I'm like, okay, we're here, right, let's go. So, 
Bohemian Airlines, I'm going to get on the flight. We walk outside, MS. We walk outside this little teeny plane with pontoons. It runs on the water. He sings on the bottom, right? <laughs> pontoons. And the guy says, the guy's wearing shorts and, a, and one of those Hawaiian shirts. And he's like, come, come, you know, get in the plane. We get in the plane. We put our stuff in the back. It's like a little thing. It's a teeny little plane. Get on the plane. It's a six-seater. So me and my wife are one-third of the passengers. <laughs> we sit down next to each other. We're honeymooners. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. My wife's like, I can't believe you're doing this either. And these four bohemian women, I mean, I'm talking, they take up more than four seats, okay? <laughs> Get on the plane, sit themselves down. The plane is reeking. It's like, we're sitting there, you know, honeymooners. You know, I have my aftershave on and my whole, I'm like all dressed up with nowhere to go, and these four sit down. The guy gets on the plane. The guy who put my luggage on the plane, he's still in his shorts and the wine. I'm like, ooh, this guy, they have a steward on, on a six-seater? He's like, hi, I'm your pilot. <laughs> Why, I never saw a pilot in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt, right? And he says, you two honeymooners, you can't sit next to each other. I'm like, what? He's like, you see, there's a weight balance, I promise you, in the plane, so... You have to sit up front with that lady, and he puts my wife, Esty, in the back with the other lady. We're both squashed in, like, pickles, and I'm like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. And the guy takes off, if you want to call it takeoff, right? The rubber bands are thing. Anyway, it's true. And it, it's mamish over the water. It's like, it, it flies, like, 10 feet, or 10 feet over the water. And this thing's flying, and it's jumping up and down. And all these women, these four women are screaming at each other in some language I didn't understand, whatever it is. Anyway, to make a long story short, we get off the plane, and I make a, a, it was a Chabad minion, a 9 o'clock Chabad minion. I show up in the Crown Hotel at 10 o'clock. I'm like, my father's like, I can't believe you're here. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to let you sever my, I davened. I did not miss minion, this is where I davened, whatever it is. He said, okay, the rest of the week is on me, fine, very nice. <laughs> Zechariah Wallerstein, since that day, does not miss Minion. Okay? For anything. I will, I will not go where there's not a Minion. I will fly backwards. Backwards. I have flown backwards from the Midwest to the West Coast because it's three hours different to catch Mincha. I will not miss Minion. If my father was willing to sever his relationship with the boy, that, the child, that everything was everything in his life because Minion meant so much to him, there was no way that I would miss Minion. So my Talmidim, and I can tell you some crazy stories, my Talmidim don't miss Minion. So that phone call where he put it to me on, a, on my honeymoon, which many Rabbeim and Rabbanim would tell you was unfair, was not right, what are you mixing in to their marriage? Set up who I am today. Because he knew his kid. And he knew that if he told me that, I would do whatever I can to make it. It's his yard site. This Friday. Guys, minion is so important because most of us can't have the right kavanas. But when you're diving in a minion, the other guy that's having hashivenu and the one who's having slachlanu and the other person who has a sick grandmother that's saying refeenu 
all our tefillahs go up together. So even though I had no kavanah and refainu, but he did. And even though I had no in hashivainu, but he did. And modim, thanking Hashem, I wasn't really this morning thanking him too much. He did. Minyan is the most powerful nuclear weapon that the Jewish nation has. Minyan is where you give tzedakah. There are so many other mitzvot. Kriya Satora saying, Omein Yeheshmei Rabbah. Your name, Yeheshmei Rabbah. Your name should be blessed forever and ever and ever. In the Sifri Kabbalah it says that every morning there are hundreds of thousands of malachim that are our enemies, that are mazikim, that come out of a room to come to hurt Yisrael, and Amen Yeshmei Rabbah kills them. So every time I say Amen Yeshmei Rabbah, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad, you know who the first, you know what the Chidah says, who the first person to ever say Shema Yisrael? So we know Yaakov Avinu, brings down Yaakov Avinu, said Shema Yisrael when he met Yosef. And when they, when they, it says that, this is what the Chidah says, that when he was on his deathbed, and he was very scared that his Shvatim would go off the derech, they said, Shema Yisrael, listen Yisrael, our father Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, you don't got nothing to worry about. Hashem is our God, our, all the Shvatim's God. Hashem will always be one. Tzvila B'Tzibur? You can't, you can't daven by yourself. Your chances, when you die by yourself, look at, there's so many swarm that talk about this, your chances when you die by yourself that it should make it to Shemayim, there are so many malachim in the way for you to be on a level to be able to daven by yourself and those tefillos should be niskabel. You have to be on such a high level that Mekadrigan, he was thinking of this, he was thinking of that. Who does he, who does he have a right to even daven to you, Hashem? He did this and he did that. In a minion, not a word, they can't say one word. Unless you're talking by davening which I never in my life, ever, saw my father talk by the happening. And he made me sit next to him as a kid, and all my friends were like, oh, your father's so mean. He made me sit next to him as a kid. They went out to play Pepsi caps, and, 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 and their parents let them out all the time. They were playing all these games. They all talked by davening, my friends. I have never even thought about it. I sat next to a man who never, ever opened his mouth by davening. And he was a tough guy. And he was, he was in the United States, he was in the 112th, you don't know what this is, Airborne Division, the United States Army, the Korean War. These were the toughest guys. And he was drafted. It wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a choice. He was a tough guy. And I'll tell you a story. I don't know if I told this last time. So my father's biggest customer was a customer called Petri Stores. We, the Wallensteins, are, are Parnassas. We make plastic shopping bags. So when you go to a store like Barnes & Noble, they give you a bag and a book, we make those bags. So we make bags for many department stores. The biggest customer in the United States for plastic bags was a company called Preeti Stores. It was a women's clothing. They owned many other, other man, they owned many other stores. The chairman of the board was Milton Petrie. Milton Petrie, if you look him up, was one of the biggest money givers for charity, not our charities, but like Israel and all these other things. One of the most powerful Jews in America. And my father had a meeting in Luigi Siegel's in New York with Mr. Petrie. Because my father was importing bags from Israel. All our bags were made here in Eretz Yisrael. So Milton Petrie had to make a decision. Is he going to buy bags from Israel? He was buying bags in America at the time. Made in America, but made in Israel. So he decided he's going to meet my father. Milton Petrie, you don't get that meeting. So my father, who my mother was his, my father's secretary. She worked with him in the business. They go out for dinner. It's a true story. They go out in Luigi Siegel's with Milton Petrie. It's like the richest guy in America. 
And they start talking about Israel, importing, exporting. All of a sudden, my father says to him, please excuse me, I, ha- I have to go out for a couple of minutes. And he tells my mother, just talk to him, just talk to him. My father got up in the middle of this meeting, in the middle of a dinner meeting, and went two blocks to Davi Minchan Meirev. Just got up in the middle of Luigi Siegel, in the meeting with Milton Petrie, and said, bye-bye, he went to Davin. My mother's sitting there, she's talking to him. Anyway, he comes back after, he died, Mincha and Meir. comes back after, like, because in those days, they didn't have those late minyanim until three in the morning. So he comes back, and he sits down. Petrie, he's not stupid, he's not the chairman of the board of this company for no reason. He says to my father, Mr. Wallerstein, to go to the men's room takes a couple of minutes. Where, where have you been? for the last 25 minutes. So my father looks at this guy. He's the man. My father says to him, I hope he's in the room. He's for sure in the room. And he says, I'm really sorry. You're the chairman of the board of one of the biggest companies in America. But I had to spend some time with the chairman of the board of the world. Those words. PG says, you know the chairman of the board of the world? <laughs> and my father says, well, as a religious Jew, three times a day, we have an appointment with the chairman of the world. And I cannot miss that appointment. I am really sorry. I wanted to make it earlier, but you couldn't come. To- I'm really sorry. Peachy looks at my father. says, Mr. Wallerstein, till I die or this company closes... You have our business. I never met a man who talks to the chairman of the board of the world. <laughs> and we had that business until the business was sold or whatever happened. He would never even listen to anyone else's bids or anything else. He met a man who walked out on him. Walked out on millions of dollars. I'm really sorry. You're the chairman of the board of Petrie. But hey man, you ain't nothing. You ain't nothing compared to the chairman of the board of the world. How many guys in this room, when you stand in front of Hashem, you're thinking, I'm talking to the chairman of the board of the world. Instead, we look at our phones and talk to narrative, to stupidities, to people that aren't even important in this world. To look up a score, to look up a this, to look up a that. Chairman of the board of the world! And he says, you can come talk to me three times a day and you're sleeping. What are you sacrificing to talk to him? Are you sacrificing a million dollar order? Don't you realize that if people know that you'll talk to the chairman of the board of the world, how much respect you'll have? We don't understand who we are. I said it to her before I walked in here. should come out of my mouth what you need to hear, not what I need to say. I wasn't going to tell you that story with Petrie. Which leads me to another story, which you probably heard has nothing to do with my father. But it's on this line. No, it's very important. It's on this line. I heard this from a guy who heard it from the person that it happened to. So there's this young guy coming out of Harvard, whatever it was, and he was invited to interview with the number one law firm in Boston. And this firm guy, and he's coming up, and the partners are meeting him. And he's coming up the elevator, and he's got this yarmulke on. And it's called, like, three Christians named Smith, Hannibal, and I don't know, whatever. Right? So... There's no way that these guys are Jewish. So he's like, should I, put, should I go with my yarmulke or Boston? It's a little waspy. I don't know if I should wear a yarmulke. I shouldn't wear a yarmulke. The last second he comes on the elevator, he takes his yarmulke and puts it in his pocket. Okay, it's a law firm, you know. Boston. So he comes in, 
And he sits down, and the partners are sitting there. And where'd you go? Harvard, we see your papers. They're unbelievable, whatever it is. You, you want to come into our firm? Yeah, he's giving this whole thing, this whole thing. One guy looks at him, says, I see by your name in the schools that you went to, you're Jewish, aren't you? He says, yeah. He says, you're orthodox? He says, yeah. He says, where's your skull cap? He says, it's in my pocket. He says, I'm sorry, I can't give you the job. My high. He says, I'm also Jewish. You see, what happens in law firms, they keep the old name, but the new partners, they don't change the name of the law firm. He says, you know, I'm also Jewish. I wasn't brought up orthodox, but I was always in awe of you people. You took your representation of who you are and put it in your pocket. You were willing to sell out where you come from to get a job? How could I have you in my law firm? What are you going to sell out when people offer you money? You're going to sell out the law firm. You can't work here. We don't understand the chairman of the board. We don't understand who we work for. We don't understand who we represent. If we did, it would be very, 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 very different. So those are the two stories of my father when it came to, when it came to Tilibet Sivar. I want to read you a Medjish Tanchuma in Pashas Vayetze, going back to Tubishvat. And the Medjish, usually I learn Medjish Rabbah, but today we're going to learn Medjish Tanchuma. So there's Yaakov Avinu in Pashas Vayetze. You have to, all those who are ADD, follow me. We have to change the channel now. We're changing the channel. We left Petrie, and we're coming. I'm ADD, so I'm just helping you. Change with me. We're going back. Okay? Now we're going all the way back to a whole different parsha. So we switch. We're going to parsha by Yetze. Okay? Parsha by Yetze, Yaakov's dream. What does Yaakov's dream have to do with two bishvat? You're about to find out. So Yaakov has this dream. And in his dream, what does he see? A ladder! I asked my Rebbe, why a ladder? You think, you think angels go up and down a ladder? I mean, they wrote a rock song, right? Stairway to heaven. They didn't write a rock song, a ladder to heaven. So, if there's anything to go to heaven, there's a stairway, there's a road, there's a ramp. You don't have a bunch of angels climbing up a ladder. Give me a break. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of vice of angels climbing up a ladder. So why does Hashem show them a ladder? So the answer is that a ladder is the only thing that whether you're going up or down, you're always looking up. You're going down a road, you look down. You go down steps, you look down. Yaakov Avinu was going into all kinds of tzaras. Dina, Rachel, Yosef, Lavan. So Hashem said, listen, till now, now you have to know when you go up and down, it's like a ladder. Whether you're going up or down, always look up. The Hashem needs of Allah. When a ladder, when it rests against the wall, the top part of the ladder is rests against the wall. Hashem said, whether you're going up or down, you have to always look up. Because you know what? The ladder rests on me. So that's why he saw a ladder. Not a stairway. But now the Medjish Tanchuma says that on this ladder, Shoharolei HaKadosh Baruch Hu Avinu Yaakov Hashem showed him Sarashel Bavel, the guardian angel of Bavel. It went up 70 steps, Hashem threw him off. Madai, 52 steps, Hashem threw him off. Yavon, 100 steps, Hashem threw him off. Asa, we don't know exactly how many steps, Hashem threw him off. Listen to this Medjish Tanchuma. Amalei HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem says to Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov, Lama Ein Ata Ola. Why aren't you getting on the ladder? Yaakov Avinu, get on the ladder. 
You see all these malachim going up and down? Now it's time for you to get on the ladder. This Yore Avinu Yaakov, Yaakov became very scared. And he said, Just like you threw them off, you're going to throw me off. The old, I'd rather not try and fail. And a lot of us go through that in life. We don't think we're going to be able to learn this Gemara. We don't think we're going to be able to do this. We don't think we're going to do this. We don't even try, especially guys. Guys more than girls. Girls will try. You know, you ask a question, they, they'll try to give you the answer even though they're not sure. They'll take the chance. We don't take a chance because we're macho. We have to always be right. So if we think we're going to be wrong, if that ever happens in your life, that you thought you might be wrong, right? That might happen on a Sunday afternoon somewhere. But if you think you are, I'm not taking the chance. I am not taking the chance. Yaakovino told Hashem, you threw all of them down, you're going to throw me down, I am not getting on the ladder. And all the great people in this world have become great because they were not scared of failure. If you're scared of failure, you'll never see greatness. You can't be failed. We're, we're created that way. We start off failing. We start off when we try to walk, we fall. We try to ride a bicycle, we fall. Right? All the, the way Hashem created us is that we fall first. Everything, everything that we do, right? I mean, I saw a horse once born on a kibbutz. The thing was up on its feet and walking in two seconds. We, right, you get all excited. I always tell the story about this little cat that lives in a house with this new couple, and then they have a baby. And the cat's like roaming around, and it, you know, it understands what we say and what we do, but we don't understand what it says. And it sees, it sees like this, the, the baby turned over, and the mommy's like, oh, I got to call Tati. The baby turned over. And Bobby and Zazie, we have to take a picture. Send it on my iPhone. Everyone has to see. My daughter turned over. And the cat's like, I turned over the first second I was born. Like, what are you humans getting so excited about? You know? And, and, and then, oh my God, she's crawling. The cat's like, hey, deal. Oh, he stood up. The cat's like, you humans, like, you know, you're prehistoric. And then he stood up and then he walked and then he ran and he said his first word. Dad. And everyone's like, can you take that? I don't know. It might take another year till he says it again. You know, dad. And then he says, daddy. And you're like, oh my goodness, he said daddy. You call up your holy friends. He said daddy. He said tati. And then he gets to say two words together. Then you're going crazy. A sentence, a paragraph, forget about it. A chapter, oh, forget about it. It's totally out of hand. Totally out of hand. Right? Some guys are like, I still can't write a chapter. What is he talking about? But okay, whatever. I'm talking about myself. Anyway, so had the way Hashem created us, is to fall. Hashem created us to fall. You don't walk till you fall. You don't ride a bicycle till you fall. He created us that way. You can't even eat. You have no teeth. He created us without teeth. And the teeth have to break and you have to give them Motrin because they get fever and it hurts. And animals are born with teeth. Have a good day. See you later. So you can't even eat. You struggle to eat. You struggle to walk. You struggle to talk. You, when you're born, you can't see. You struggle to see. The whole beginning of your life is a struggle. The hope it's only the beginning of your life. So that's the way HaKadosh Baruch created. So Yaakov Avinu said, not getting on that ladder. Don't want to get thrown off. But God said to him, Yaakov, just get on the ladder. I promise you, I won't throw you off. Okay, I'm on the ladder. You guys are on the ladder. But listen to the Medrash. The Lohemin, he didn't believe Hashem. The Allah. He didn't get on the ladder. I went to the Medrash like, what? Hashem tells Yaakov, we're not talking to, you know, Hashem Shmagegi. We're talking about, for all those who don't know what Shmagegi is, it's a special word you can't translate. Right? <laughs> so, so, what do you mean 
believe Hashem? Hashem said, get on the ladder. I don't want to. You're going to throw me off. I'm not going to throw you off. I don't believe you. No, it doesn't make any sense. So Chazal say that he wasn't telling Hashem, I don't believe you. He was telling Hashem, I don't believe that Klai Yisrael will be so good that there'll never be a need to throw them off. Bubble with Rasham, these were all Rasham, you threw them off. I know you believe in, in Klai Yisrael, they're going to be such Sadiqim, but my children are not, can't be such Sadiqim, they can't be on such a level. So sooner or later you're going to throw them down, and I don't want to see that. And Hashem said, Ooh, you don't believe in potential. You're not even going to get on the ladder. You don't believe in potential. Had you got on the ladder and you trusted me, Klai Yisrael would have never gone down. Not only that, since Lehemata, you didn't believe me, your punishment is, you didn't get on the ladder, you didn't take the chance, you didn't give it a try, your punishment is that those four that got thrown off the ladder, they're not going to get thrown off the ladder until they throw you off the ladder. Until you're in their gullus. Wow. So, what do we learn from this, Medrash? You've got to get on the ladder. Even if you're going to fall. Even if that tomorrow is too hard. Even if you're going to say like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And deep down in your heart, it's like, I can't. I, you know, it's like stopping to smoke or to drink or any of these things. How long is it going to last? And why, why should I stop for a week? What's a week going to change in my life? I'm not going to stop. Hashem says, no, you stop. You stop. You get on the ladder. Even if it's one moment or one day. You stop. You get on the ladder. Don't worry about it. Once you're on the ladder, I'll handle it. But if you're not on the ladder, you know, we don't coach. I always tell girls who come to me for help. I'm like... You could be a mediocre, I was a hockey player. You could be a mediocre hockey player, not even a good hockey player. My coach was willing to coach you. No problem. But you could be a superstar. If you want to sit on the bench, he wouldn't talk to you. Superstars that sit on the bench, anyone who knows basketball, you have some of these great players that never, ever got on the court. Right? You, you, you can coach a person, but they have, to be, they have to be willing to play. So I tell the girls, you don't have to be the best student in my school, but you have to, you have to come to school. And you have to try. After that, everything, everything will fall into place. But if you don't try, Gretzky, you know, the great Gretzky, he said, I think I said it here last time, Gretzky said, I don't like to quote hockey players, but Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Godless. <laughs> it is. It is godless. You're scared to take the shot. You pass the puck. You're scared to take the shot. You pass the puck. You're never going to get a goal. But if I take a shot, my shot's not good enough to go in. Take 100 shots, one might go in. But if you, he said 100% of the shots you don't take will never go in. And there are other guys who choke, and they got the ball, and there's two seconds left, and they're like, no, not me. You'll, you'll never hit a game-winning shot. So the people that in life that hit the game-winning shot are the ones that are willing to miss. Again, I hate to quote sports, but Kobe Bryant. <laughs> Let me finish. Let me finish. Kobe Bryant who's an all-star, who will be in the Basketball Hall of Fame, whether you like him or not, right? Kobe Bryant missed more shots than any basketball player in history. He missed more shots than any basketball player in history, and he's going to the Hall of Fame because he was a superstar. Because he took the shot, and he talked and missed, and he took the shot, and he missed, but he won the game. He wasn't scared to take the shot. Now, there are guys here telling his friend, you see, I do that all the time. I take the shot and I miss. Why are you angry at me? Right? But you got, you got, to, you got to take the shot. You got to take the shot. Because you have no idea who you are. All you guys in this room, you have no idea who you are. You have no idea what kachis you have. 
Even if you see yourself in the mirror as a tree, we know that in a year from now that tree is giving fruit. My father, Allah Shalom, was in the 112th Airborne Division. He was, he was drafted into the U.S. Army when he was like 20 years old. He wasn't in yeshiva at that point. They drafted him in the Korean War. He was a Jew and he was a Yankee. He was a New Yorker. He was trained, the 112th Division was trained in Savannah, Georgia. In the summer, it was 120 degrees in the swamp, in the shade. This is where he was trained. He was 140 pounds, not even 140 pounds, skinny, 20-year-old Jew from New York. He came in, he told me, the first day he was there, the drill sergeant lined him up. They hated my father because he was a Jew and these were all southern, real southerners who thought that Jews had horns. Really, they're from like, we're talking about a long time ago. And outside of being a Jew, what they hated more was that he was a Yankee. That he was from the north. These were all southerners. So on the first day, he lines them up and he tells them, tonight, this group, you guys, new guys, recruitment, just came in. This group is going on maneuvers. Mazen maneuvers. So what's maneuvers? 60 pound pack! And you're going to do 26 miles, and we're not going to stop. And my father's like, I weigh 120 pounds. The pack weighs half of what I weigh. I can't do it. I want out of the army. Right, there's no out of the army. And the sergeant said, boys, let me tell you something about this swamp that we're going through. They're doing a night maneuver. That's their first maneuver. He said, there is crocodiles. There is alligators, and there is bone constrictors, and a lot of things I can't name. That's what he told them. He said, and we're going to be marching through that swamp. I'll never forget what my father told me. He said, any one of you that drops, where you drop is where you stop. We don't come back for you. We just keep going. You don't want to be left behind because tomorrow morning we're going to be picking up your skeleton. <laughs> My father's standing there, this 20-year-old Jewish guy from the west side of Manhattan. 60-pound <laughs> pack, 26 miles? He said, I never thought about how far that is. 26 miles? Like, is the whole New York 26 miles? Right? And what do they do? They take the Jew... And they make him point man. Point man is the first guy. That point man is the first guy in the march. He's the guy that falls into the quicksand, falls into the holes. The first guy to meet the alligator. The point man, the point man takes it the hardest. The Jew will make him the point man. My father told me, he's like, I'm going to die. I'm dying tonight. I am dying. He wrote a letter to my grandparents. I am dying tonight. <laughs> and they go on this march. He said, after, with this pack on his back, he said, after the first five miles, I started throwing up. He said, I was throwing up my food. He said, the next five miles, I was throwing up my guts. He said, the last five miles on that march, I was throwing up my blood. But I did not stop. And I kept thinking in my head, where you drop is where you stop, and I have to live. He said, a bunch of young recruits who had never did anything in their lives marched that night, the next day, and the following night, 26 miles, 60 miles pound backpack. Everyone was barfing. Everybody was sick. Everybody was, I can't. And the sergeant was, you can. He says, except for one guy. 
One guy we lost in the swamp. They brought him back in a body bag a day later. Will you, st- will you drop it? Will you stop? They don't play the 112th division. They don't play games. They shoot live ammunition when you're going on the barbed wire. They don't play games. So I said, Dad, why are you telling me this? I'm not going to the Army. And he's like, there's no way that I knew that within me, this skinny little kid from New York could carry that kind of weight for 26 miles. He said, Zechariah, the potential of a person who's pushed, you can't imagine. He says, but you can't always wait for someone to push you. You've got to push yourself. You've got to take the shot. You can't, you, can't, you can't get the goal without taking the shot. That's whose yard side it is this Friday. That is whatever I am. I don't know what I am, but whatever I am, it's because I had a father that didn't believe in the words, I can't. I don't want to. Maganu, that didn't work out that well either. But I can't wasn't the word. And he's 100% right. Or Nava and a high school and a, and a seminary and another seminary. And Baruch Hashem, we just had a... I'm, I'm not praising myself. There's a reason I'm telling you this. And, and for the last three years, I was trying to find this rehab for girls because the only rehab for girls today, for only girls, Jewish girls, is in Utah with the Mormons and why are we sending them to the Mormons? And there are 17 girls right now sitting with these people. And, and they're the best in the world. And they're the best rehab. And here we are, the Jewish nation, with all our money, with everything. There's boys rehabs. There's no rehab for, for a Jewish girl. She has to go with a bunch of goyim. So she, at least the Utah is only girls. It's not mixed. But how many of our girls do we send to mixed programs? And, and they come back with bigger problems. They come back sober goyim. Yay. What's better, a drunk Jew or a sober guy? I don't want to get into that answer, but you know the answer. No, but you know the answer. But you know the answer. So for the last two, three years, I've been looking and I've been looking and I've been looking and I can't understand Hashem, I'm doing this for you, it's for your daughters. And, and everywhere I went, I, I went to contract, they broke the contract. I found this place, this wasn't good. And it's, it's, it's done with horses and it's a question of therapy. And I, I have this dream and everyone's like, you're not doing enough? I'm like, hello? You know, you've been going to Medrash? Come on, you're busy. Right? So, today, contract was signed on a place. Because there is no word in this world called I can't. I'll tell you a story, Rosh Steinman, on this, on this subject. So Rosh Steinman's a big god. I don't, I don't think I said this story. So, so I have this high school, and I have these girls that are, that are going through very hard times. And for the first three years, as much work therapy that we did, and the love and the caring and everything that we did, they would go home for Shabbos to this dysfunctional, abusive home, and then Monday they'd come, home, they'd come back crazy. So we work a whole week, and then send them home for shot for the weekend, and then they come home, come back, and we have to do it all over again, then come back. So I realized I need a dorm. I need to be able to work these girls a whole week, have them sleep, and then Shabbos, have them in a dorm with a family and a Shabbos, not let them go back to their dysfunction. And then maybe all the work that I'm doing will see fruition, but how are you going to get a dorm? So we saw this house that I really like, broken, shambles, nothing. And they said, you want to fix this up? It's going to cost $350,000. Three floors, it was perfect. Floor for the family, floor for the girls. It was the perfect house, but where am I getting $350,000? Where do you go when you get to get $350,000? You go to a tzaddik and get a bracha. You're like, to the bank. No, you go to a tzaddik and get a bracha. So I was in Eretz Yisrael, Evyom Kippur, four years ago, three years ago. What? Chairman of the board, 100%. So I went to Rav Steinman. Rav Steinman knows everything that I do. I'm very close to him, whatever it is. Actually, the only joke he ever made known to the public, was with me. And the, and, and 
the joke, I'll tell you the joke. The joke was, I came to him when I opened the Anava, and he asked me, he had, all, he had just finished Shia, so he had all these Gedolim there. So he asked me, what's the age of the girls that are coming to Arnava? So I was a wise guy. And I said, 17 to 120. That was my age group. So he said to me, which was not a good although I usually would talk like this, he said, what will happen if a woman comes and she's 121? You won't let her in? Or Steinman, okay? They do have a sense of humor, by the way. They just don't laugh in front of you, but they do have a sense. Anyway, so I'm a wise guy. So I said, Rosh Shiva, if a woman comes and she's 121, I promise I'll call you. So he said, it'll never happen. So I said, of course, Rosh Shiva, because I may have asked him. I'm a big Lamdan. He said, Nay, well, I've woman. Betnish Zogin the Richtige age. She's not going to tell you her real age. <laughs> True story. Ask anybody in Rav Steinman's circle. It's very famous because they were like, <laughs> I'm like, I bring out the best in the Gedalim. <laughs> anyway, so I, I, come, I come to Rav Steinman. It's a very important story in my life. I come to Rav Steinman and it's Erev Yom Kippur and I'm like, Rav Steinman? Could you give me a bracha? He says, for what? I'm like, I have this school, and you know the school, and, 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 and I said, I really want to build this house for these girls. It would just make, they, they want it, and I want it, and it would be just an amazing thing. It would just help them so much. He looks at me, and he says, who says, Berzot, Atakadosh Baruch wants such a house? Who says Hashem wants such a house? I'm like, no, no, Rashiva doesn't understand. Not for me. I'm not building a house for me. I'm building a house for these girls. And I say the whole thing over again. He looks at me. He says, who says? Who says? I'm like, I really want this bracha. Please. I really want this house. <laughs> and he's like, who says Hashem wants such a house? And they push me out of the room. I'm not getting anywhere. I remember I, the girl, the, 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 Chani Siegel, the head of the school called me and said, no, did you, did you get the bracha? I'm like, no, we got a klala. <laughs> I said, pretty much what Steinman said, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but God don't want that house. Okay. So I have to tell the truth. He's a goddol, but I needed a house. So I said, ah, he didn't understand what I was saying. Maybe I didn't translate it right. Because what goddol would not want Hashem's daughters to have such a house? So I went collecting money that year. Not a penny. I had one guy said he's giving me the money. Then he had an investment all of a sudden come up that he had to give away. Another guy promised me a loan. For everything I tried, nothing. Zero. A goddol, you don't mess with a goddol. So next to him, Kipper, I'm like, heh. I was brought up with the word I can't, doesn't exist. Ask him again. You never know. Maybe he in a better mood. So, <laughs> so it's Erev Yom Kippur. I go back to Rav Steinman. Show you what a guddle is. This is not day. I go back to Rav Steinman. I'm like, Shashiva, I really need this house. It got a lot worse. I need this house. The girls said, I, they need that. I mean, they can't go home anymore. They mamish need this house. I need this house. Rashiva, I'm begging you, not like last year. Give me a bracha. He looks at me, smiles. He says, Vedzai! Someone's going to give you the money and it's going to happen really fast. And the the bracha that the shechina will always live in that house with your girls. Yes. <laughs> So, I turned to him. I just have that little mechutz of side. I can't, can't, get, can't get rid of you. Can't get rid of everything about yourself. And I said, "Can I the Rosh Yeah. He said, 
I said, let's do, yo, last year, you said Hashem doesn't want the house. This year you said he's moving in. I don't hop. Like, what happened? I said, what happened? I'm thinking maybe I did do tshuva, maybe I said the wrong thing. I don't, I don't know what I did wrong. So I, I was, I, now here's a gadol. It's a year later. He saw how many people? 5,000 people learned all this Torah in between. I came to him, Arab, him Kippur, right? Went, wow. This is what he says to me. He looks at me and he says, last year, you said you want such a place and the girls want such a place. Vezot, that what, what you want, Hashem wants. He said, that's what he was saying to me. He said, Abadeya, you said you need such a house. Kershaw gives his children what they need. I was like, you should have told him I need a million dollars. Forget the house, that was only 350. Wow. First of all, that he remembered what I said last year, that I said I want, and he was listening to here, I need, with all those people in between, a goggle is a go- it's not normal. It's unbelievable. But what a lesson I learned. Yeah, everybody wants to get married. Every guy in this room wants a good shit. Everyone in this room wants to be a Tamachacham. Everybody wants to grow in Israel. Verzuk, because you want it's going to happen, says Rav Steinman. It's the guys that need it that Hashem is going to give it to. I need to be a Tamachacham. I need to daven with a minion. I need to change the way I'm acting. I need to get away from all those shtusim that I'm doing. I need, not I want, I need it. If you need it, says Rav Steinman, you'll get it. And you want to know something? I got the $350,000. Two months later, we were, building, we were redoing the whole house. It was finished within six months. And the girls are living in it now for two and a half years. No question. Guzzle, forget it. The problem is, we don't need it. We just want it. I hate that I'm talking about so much sports, but there's just cer- certain, certain things that are just... So there's this, there's this vid- I, don't have, I don't have internet, I don't have an iPhone. I have what they call a never phone. This is my Neb phone. It's amazing. Anyway, so never phone, yes, never phone. My, my girls in my school walk around, oh, he's got the never phone. I'm not even going to call you because my iPhone might get a disease from your never phone. I don't want to talk to your phone because who knows what's going to come out of that phone into my phone, right? So... What should I tell you? Where was I before that? I was yeah, so I want, so there's, there's, there's this, someone showed me a clip, a, a video, some of you might have seen it on YouTube. So there's this guru in LA that trains superstars, Michael Jordan, some of the guys in football, some guys, like all the, the guys who became all-stars, famous guys in sports, he trains. He takes $100,000 to train you. And they have this guy that, that's coming out of college this year, College football, and he wants to go to the. He's going to the NFL, but he doesn't want to just stand be a football player. He wants to be a superstar. He wants to be a Hall of Famer. So it's a hundred thousand dollars. This guy, against his contract, borrowed a hundred thousand dollars to go down to this guru, and it's, it's it's a YouTube video, and he goes down to this guru, and he meets him. It's one of these short, like Chinese guys, you know, from the Himalayas, right? <laughs> and he says, "Hi, I'm so and so. Hundred thousand dollars before we talk." Gives him the check. It's a, it's a certified check. He says, okay, I give you lesson. He says, where? He goes, tomorrow morning sunrise, meet me, Malibu Beach. Bring your bathing suit. Come in bathing suit. Guy's like, she going to Malibu Beach with a bathing suit? What's this guy? $100,000? Okay. Who knows? We're going to do some karate, some yoga, some like crazy stuff, you know, and he's going to make me into an all-star. 
He said, okay, he meets him at the beach, sunrise. He says, come, we go in ocean. We go into the ocean. No more, 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 more. They go all the way into the ocean. The water's up to this football. Big, black, strong, muscular, black football player. Water's up to his neck. He's like, okay, man, show me some stuff. He's like, no stuff. You go underwater as far as you can go down. And then what? You do. He goes down. This guy, I don't know, with some kind of point, point pressure on your head. He's, he puts his hand on this guy's head, and he holds him under the water, and the guy can't move. He's like a pressure point. The guy can't move. And the guy's drowning. He's drowning this football player. Okay? And the guy can't breathe. The guy can't breathe. The guy can't breathe. He's holding his breath. He's turning blue. He's holding his breath. Finally, he lets go like the last second. The guy comes up. He's throwing up. He, he was so sick from holding his breath. He's throwing up. He's like, <gasps> he's like gagging. He's like, you crazy man? I kill you, man. Were you crazy man? Lesson over. Come beach. We talk. <laughs> so they go to the beach. It's a true story. They go to the beach. He looks at him. He says, man, you crazy man. Try to kill me. What are you nuts? What are you? Give me back my money. No, no give back money. <laughs> he says, what, what was that all about? No, you did. This is what he says. This is what he says. He says, when you want to win as much as you want it to breathe, you'll be a superstar. So when you're on that football field, you think about that need that you had for that breath of air. You think about that. You want to win as need to win as much as you need to breathe, you'll be a champion. Video over. I'm like, Whoa! If Steinman hadn't beaten, he doesn't even get 100000 for it. That's what Steinman was saying. When you need something so bad, Kirsch Bach will give it to you. The problem is, we don't need nothing. We need the wrong things, and we get it. We need the wrong things. We want the right things, but we need the wrong things. You've got to change that. You've got to change it that you need the right things. Yaakov Avino, Kirsch Bach said, you just get on the ladder. You give it a shot. I'll take care of the rest. Tu Bishva. Tu it's about potential. So I want to end with this story. I told it to one young man on the way out last time. I don't know if he's here. And I told it today in a bunch of seminaries. And it's a very important story. And we'll end with this. So there was a king and he had a daughter, of course, in the Medrash. When the kings had a daughter, she's always beautiful. I have never read a medrash where it said, and there was a king who had an ugly daughter. There's no such, there is no such medrash. Why? Because in the medrash, the king is Hashem, and the daughter is us. So we're always the most beautiful daughter. So he had this beautiful daughter, and he wants to marry her off. And he was too far away from medrash, so he couldn't get one of you guys. So he put an ad in. He put an ad in. And it said, looking for a husband for my princess daughter. What happens? That day, a thousand guys show up. I mean, this is the perfect shidduch. She's beautiful. She's rich. Right? And I marry her, I become the prince. And then sooner or later, I become the king. Everybody showed up. No shotgun needed, no resume, nothing. Everybody shows up. There's a thousand guys at the door. The king says, a thousand guys. I don't have time to go, you know, interview everybody. This is what we're going to do. We're going to make a contest. I'm going to build a thousand, a tower with a thousand huge steps. First guy to the top of the tower gets the princess. Rumpelstiltskin, I think, is a story like that. Whatever, right? It's not a new story. So they build this 
thousand steps to the top of the tower. The king gets up in front of the thousand guys and says, listen, I just got to tell you the deal. The race begins at sunset tonight, and you have to get there by sunrise. If you're not there by sunrise, you get nothing. So you got to reach the top of the tower by sunrise. Oh, you know, the guys, yeah, I can do it, I can do it. I'm fast, everyone gets online, thousand guys. Sun sets, everyone starts running up the steps. They get to the 200th step, all the chunky, out-of-shape guys, right, who can't breathe at this point. Well, us guys who are out of shape, we're never going to say, I can't do it. So they decide, we'll start a rumor, right? And they start a rumor that there's no princess at the top. The king is playing a joke on us. We're all going to run up there like a bunch of Michigan, open the door, ha ha, April Fool's. And then some other guy said, no, the king is making a big joke. Him and all his ministers are going to be sitting at the bottom. The sun's going to come up in the morning. <laughs> Look at all those fools on the steps. 500, 600. He knows we can't do 1,000 steps. This whole thing is a big joke. So they had an excuse now. The rumor started going. So even though they couldn't breathe, they didn't say that. They're like, oh, I could do this. You know how those guys are. I could do this. But I'm not going to because she's not even up there. So 200 guys go down. The 200 guys were out of shape. They get to the 300 steps. Another 200 guys get out. They get to 350. Another 200. All of a sudden... There's an hour left to sunrise. Two guys. Two guys in the best shape. I know each guy in this room is thinking it's him, right? <laughs> two guys is at the 700 step. One guy's like, I wouldn't even start climbing those steps, but okay. So there's two guys left, and they're on the 700 step. There's an hour left to sunrise. And one guy turns to his friend, and he says, Chaim. No, no, I'm kidding. That's anyone's name. Sorry. All right, Maurice. No, Maurice is here, okay? So, all right, there is a Maurice. Okay. Chaim. Chaim. I am not going to be left on these stairs for everyone to laugh at me. We're at the 700 step. We have an hour. We might make it to the 800. We're not going to make it to the princess. So why am I doing this? I have a feeling that all those guys on the bottom were right. There is no princess. They're going to be sitting there at the bottom. All the people that were running, all the other 998 guys, plus the king, plus his advisors, on the 750 step. They're nuts. They got nothing. Everyone's going to laugh. He says, I am not going to be the laughing stock of the yeshiva. I'm not going to be the laughing stock of everyone. I am running down those steps in the next hour. If I run down fast enough, I'll get off the steps before the sun rises. Come on, Chaim. Come with me. Chaim's like, listen, we got this far, man. We worked so hard. Like, we're in Medrash ready for two years, man. Like, we, we worked so hard to get here. I am not turning around and giving this all up. For a girl. Uh, I don't know where that came from. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> just one guy that I, whatever. Not here, not in Madras, just in your slime somewhere. So, I'm not, I'm not giving that up. I work too hard. You're not taking me down. No way. I, I, I put too much into this. And he's like, kind of like, don't, don't, don't give it up, man. Maybe, maybe the king will change his mind if he sees us on the 800th step, even though we didn't make it. He'll, he'll you know, maybe, maybe he'll give us something for the effort. He says, no way, I am not going to be the laughing stock of everyone. And he turns around, and right when he's about to run down, Chaim says, I have to tell you something. You see, the last five years I worked for the king. The king has no sense of humor. I've never seen him laugh. He has no sense of humor. So there's definitely not a joke. He will not be sitting at the bottom laughing at us. As far as the princess being up there, five years I worked, one thing he's very mock, but he's very strict about, is his word. 
If he gives his word, it's a word. If he says the princess is up there, she's up there. Hey, Chaim, the bottom line is we're not going to make it. I am not going to be left on here. He turns around and he runs down as fast as he can. Chaim, like a lot of us, he's on the 700th step with an hour left. He knows that he cannot make it. And he's like, I, I just don't understand. I know the king. The king made this contest because he figured that we could make it. But I'm in shape and I run marathons and I ran as fast as I could. I don't understand what he wants from me. But you know what? I have an hour left. So you know what? I'll be the last guy left on the stairs on the 800th step. But at least I know that I did the most that I can. You see, it's not about winning the race, boys. That's what the Medrash Tanchum is telling Yaakov. It's not about never getting thrown off. It's about getting on the ladder. You don't have to win the race. I was in Chai Lifeline two weeks ago. They had the, the, the Miami Marathon. So I was there for Shabbos to speak. And I said that I read a book, a psychology book, where it says that every human being is running from something and running towards something. Some people are running from bad, running towards good. Some people are running from good, running towards bad. I said, the guy who wrote that didn't know about Jews and didn't know about Chai Lifeline. Because on that Sunday, in that marathon, the 900 Chai Lifeline people who ran weren't running to or from anywhere. They were running for kids who have cancer. That's a Jewish thing. That guy in psychology didn't understand that you're not always running to or from. Sometimes we're running for. We as Jews can run for the other one. You don't have to win. Nobody won. No one for high life like won. People took six hours. People took four hours. People three hours. Who cares? You don't have to win. The win is you took the chance. You took the shot. You gave it a try. You're a winner. You're a winner. What does it say? Failure is not to fall. Failure is to fall and not get up. Everybody falls, but to fall and not get up, that's failure. Anyway, so this guy is stuck on the 700 step and he doesn't understand. I'm learning and I'm trying and I, I just... I just don't seem to be able to reach my goal. Rosh Hashiva, I'm trying. I come to Seder. I'm trying. Just, I just, there's just so much going on in my life. Rosh Hashiva, I just cannot reach my goal. But you said that if I come to Yeshiva and I try and I work, that I'm going to become this kind of guy. But I'm not being this kind of guy. So I don't understand. This can't be a trick. You're not going to sit at the bottom of the steps and laugh at me. So I don't understand what's going on. So this guy is having the same question. He's sitting there and he's saying, I don't understand. You promised. I ran. So you know what? I'm just going to keep going until the sun rises. And he takes the next step. I love this story. It's so me. He takes the next step, knowing that he can't make it, and he triggers, and the, the steps open up. And out comes an elevator. And he's like, elevator? Nice. Door opens up, gets inside, candle, bottle of champagne, a rose. He says, hmm, okay, cool. Gets into the elevator. The button, pushes the button. <laughs> And he said he needs a shower. And the thing zips up. I'm not going to get to the whole thing. The thing zips up. To make a long story short, he steps out of the elevator at a minute to sunrise. And I'm going to say something that I've seen in my 37 years of chinuch over and over and over again. He steps out of the elevator and he looks down the steps. And as he steps out of that elevator on the top floor by the princess, his friend it was on the 700th step with him, steps off the last step on the bottom. And he turns to his friend who's all the way now at the bottom and he screams at the top of his lungs, You're not going to believe it! Elevator! But this guy is so far away, all he hears is, Err! 
He's like, what's that Meshuggah doing up there? And he walks inside. And there she is. She's sitting there, the most beautiful, unimaginable princess, sitting on a throne. And she turns to him and she says, thank you. He says, why are you thanking me? She says, because what you didn't know is that my father told me that if nobody makes it to the top, I'll remain single for the rest of my life. I knew the elevator was on the 700th and I first step, and I saw you with your friend, and I saw you talking, and I'm like, take another step! And then your friend turned around, he started running down, I was so scared you were going to follow him, but you didn't! You took another step! Thank you so much. And by the way, she says, I want to introduce you to someone else. He says, someone else? Yeah. I'd like to introduce you to my twin sister. You have a twin sister? He runs to the door, his friend's at the bottom, and he screams, Oh no! Twin sister! <laughs> er. <laughs> so the, so the, the story really, the story really is about Klai Yisrael and Matan Torah, this week's parsha, where Hashem told all the Umos Ha'olam, I have something for you at the top of the tower. It's called the Torah. Go get it. And everybody said, we don't want it. And Klai Yisrael said, Nasev and Ishma, I don't understand how I'm going to get it. Do I deserve it? How am I going to get to the top? But I'm going to take another step. And we got the Torah. And the Torah said, thank you, Klai Yisrael, because if you wouldn't have come and made it, if you wouldn't have taken me, then nobody would have taken me and the world would have been destroyed. I would have never had a Chavrusa. Klai Yisrael wouldn't have been my chavrusa, so thank you very much. That's really what the Torah is talking about in this week's parasha, but it says a lot more to me, and I'll tell you why. I cannot tell you, boys and girls, I cannot tell you how many times parents have come to me and say, my Wallstein, I don't understand. My daughter doesn't keep Shabbos. My son doesn't keep Shabbos. He's doing drugs. He's drinking. He gets up at four in the afternoon. I'm like, what, what don't you understand? You don't understand that my son had a best friend, Avrami, and him and Avrami were in 12th grade together. They were best friends and they were learning the Chabrusa. And they were in the same place two years ago. And now Avrami is like almost a Rosh Hashiva, the guy Shtaihi in Eretz Yisrael. And my son is at the bottom of the ladder. But, but they were two years ago on the 700 step together. What happened? And I'm sure all you guys in this room have such friends. What happened? You're sitting in Yeshiva based Medrash and this guy is gone. Manashtana, you were both. The same place a year ago, two years ago, a month ago. Why you run down the stairs and you went up the stairs? What's the difference between these two people on the stairway? There's only one difference. One knew the king, one did not. The one who knew the king knew that if the king says you can do it, he's not a joker. God is not a joker. He's not a comedian. Not at all. Even though people say Hashem has a sense of humor. Uh Uh-uh. He's very serious. In Din and in Rachamim, he's very serious. And he sure don't make promises that he can't keep. So the guys who have a relationship with Hashem, when they're struggling, they're like, I don't understand. I'm trying my best, and I don't understand why I'm not getting there, but I'm going to take the next step. And Hashem's like, it's, the elevator's waiting for you. Just take the next step. And the guys who have no connection to Hashem, is like, what is he putting me through this for? Just to just put me through trouble and all this pain and everything else. I'm turning around, and I'm running off the... And I see so many guys running down the ladder and so many guys going up the ladder. And the only difference is a relationship with God and also a relationship with themselves knowing that every single person in this room is an eights. And if you're in a winter and you're having a hard time and you're going through a hard time, you're an eights hasadah, and therefore why there's a guy named your eights. 
What? Okay, after statement. But anyway, don't ask. All right, whatever it is, Eitzah Sadeh, but every, every, I will ask him, I'm going to be there tomorrow, I'll ask him. But I'm going to tell him that the guys in this yeshiva asked me to ask him in Medrash. And you'll give me your name, you can write it down, I'll give him the question. But anyway, but seriously, every single person in this room, every single person in this room is an Eitzah Sadeh. And even if you're right now feel that you're not, it's not happening, like the winter tree, know that there'll be a spring. And know that after a spring, there'll be a summer. And that those payos will happen. Don't give up on yourself. But you've got to take the shot. If you don't take the shot, it can't go in. And you've got to need, you got to need your ruchnias. You've got to need the things that are good for you in life. Wanting them is not enough. You have to need them with your heart and your soul. And if you need them with your heart and your soul, you will get them. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So, you got to go? What time is Seder over? Okay. So, you know, I have to go because I have to speak at 8 o'clock. I just want to... Sunrise, I hear you. I just want to read you something. I want to read you something very, very fast. Very, very fast. It's an amazing story. And I think this is the way to end. So, it's, it's from Rav Nachman, if you need to know. It's one of Rav Nachman's stories. And um, we know that all the stories that he wrote, the way, the, the way they read is not what they mean. So the most famous is the, is the uh, is, well, there's a lot of different famous stories, but um, what is the most famous story? The Lost Princess is his most famous story. But I want to read you a story that I read, which is, which is on this same theme. It's called The Rabbi's Son. It wasn't a group that played in my days, but it's called The Rabbi's Son. So there was this rabbi, and he didn't have any children, and finally he davened, and I, he got a child, and he raised him up, and he married him off. Now this son would sit upstairs in his room and study and learn. He was a big masmid. And one day, he just didn't feel any inspiration. You guys wouldn't understand what that means, but sometimes you just don't feel any inspiration. He didn't feel inspiration in his davening. He didn't feel inspiration in his learning. So he spoke to two of his friends, and he said, what should I do? I'm learning, I'm davening, but this is not happening. I'm not, I'm not inspired. So they said, there's a very big tzaddik, a very big tzaddik across the way. Go to him, and he'll give you inspiration. So the young man went to his, went to his father, and he said, um, I don't feel any inspiration. I, I'm doing everything by moat. I'd like to go visit the tzaddik. And his father said to him, why should you go visit the tzaddik? You're a tzaddik. You're a scholar. You sit and learn. You daven. You're a tzaddik. You don't need to go. You don't need to go to the tzaddik. Your family background is better than this tzaddik. It's not fitting for you to go to him. Give up the idea. And the father stopped him from going. The young man went back to learning. Didn't happen. He went back to his father. He said, Dad, I want to go see the tzaddik. I want to go meet the tzaddik. So, the father said, okay, I'll tell you what. We'll go, you'll go see the tzaddik, but I have to go with you. I'm going to go with you. And we'll see on the way, if it's Mina Shemayim, that you should meet the tzaddik or not. We'll see. We'll see how, the, we'll see how it goes. If it goes smooth. You're supposed to meet the tzaddik. If it doesn't go smooth, you're not supposed to meet the tzaddik. Okay. So, that was their test. So, they started going. And they came to a small bridge. And one of the horses slipped. And the carriage turned over. They almost drowned. You see, said the father, things didn't go smoothly. This must be Hashem doesn't want us to go. So they came home. The boy went back to study to learn. It's not. He's just not inspired. He wants to see this gadol. So he tells his father, I know last time it looked like Hashem didn't want it. Let's try again. The father says, okay, we'll try this one more time. 
So, they're proceeding and they're going in the middle of the way. The carriages, both the axles break of the carriage. The wheels crack off. Ha <laughs> ha! Father says, you see? Hashem is showing us we're not supposed to go. We're going home. They went home. And then for a year or two, the son was learning, but he could not get inspired. He went back to his father and he said, I, I don't care what all the signs. I'm, I'm, I'm Amish wasting my time. I'm just, I'm not inspired. I must go see that gadol. Father says, okay, we'll try one more time. So, they go. They make it over the bridge. They make it past the road. First day of travel, they come to an inn. To a hotel. And they meet this guy at the inn. They're sitting and eating. This guy walks over. He's a merchant. And they begin to talk to him. But they don't tell him where they're going. Because the rabbi, the father of this kid, was ashamed to admit that he had to go to see a tzaddik. He was a tzaddik. His son was a tzaddik. What do we need a tzaddik for? So they started to talk about different things. But it came up. That they, where are you going? They told the merchant, we're going to see this tzaddik. He said, what tzaddik are you going to see? And they told him the name of this tzaddik. So this merchant says to them, him? You're going to see that rabbi? He's worthless. I'm coming from him right now. I went to see him. He says, he doesn't even know how to learn. He doesn't even know how to pray. Don't waste your time with him. Ah, the father said to the son, you see, there's no reason to go to this. We just met a merchant. He's telling us the guy doesn't even know how to pray like you. What should we go for? So with that, they went home. Soon afterward, the son died. And he came to his father in a dream. And his father saw that his son, the one that died, that wanted to go to the tzaddik, was very angry. And his father said to him, why are you so angry? So the son said, I'm in Shemayim, and if you want to know why I'm angry, go to the tzaddik that I wanted to visit. He will tell you why I'm angry. The father woke up, and he said, nah, just a stupid dream. So he went back to sleep again. He had the dream again. He said, ah, it's a meaningless dream. Then he had it a third time, and he realized that a dream that you have three times in the same night is very, very important. So he went out to see the tzaddik. On his way, it was unbelievable. Listen to, listen to exactly what he writes. On his way, he meets the merchant from the inn, whom he encountered while he was traveling with his son. He recognized him and said, Aren't you the one, the merchant that I met in the inn? Said the merchant, you certainly did see me. And then he said something to the father that made no sense. He said, and if you want, I will swallow you up alive. The rabbi looking at this merchant, he says, like, what did you just say? What are you talking about? So the merchant said, don't you remember when you were traveling with your son, first the horse slipped on the bridge and you went back. Then the axles broke and you went back. Then you met me, and I told you that the tzaddik was worthless, and you went back. But now that your son's dead, you can go to the tzaddik. So the father says, who are you? And he says, well, your son, whatever this means in Kabbalah, was, was an aspect of the lesser light. The tzaddik was an aspect of the great light. Had the two of them come together, the Mashiach would have come. But now that I caused your son to die, you can go see the tzaddik. While speaking, the merchant vanished. And the rabbi had no one else to speak to. When the, when the rabbi finally got to the tzaddik, he screamed, Woe, woe is to those who are lost and can no longer be found. And the translation of the dream, of course, of this whole thing is that the merchant was a satan. And had these two met, this boy and this tzaddik, the sheikh would have come and the satan broke the axles and the satan pushed him off the thing and the satan made up all these stories. And there's two very, why am I telling you this story? There's two very important points. 
what this story means in the deepness of the story. And the two points are as follows. First of all, the father who didn't believe, right, who believed that the axle breaking and the horse falling in the water and the merchant were all signs. He was looking for signs. Why? Because he was full of covered and he really didn't want to go see the rabbi because he was happy with who he was. So all of a sudden, when he was looking for signs not to go, he found all these different signs. How come it took three dreams for him to realize it was a sign? A man who's looking for signs, he had a dream, she said, my, my, my son just came to me to dream from heaven, must be, I, I gotta listen. Nah, it's meaningless. Nah, it's meaningless. Until the third time, it's meaningless. How come when he wanted to do the wrong things, it wasn't meaningless? Number one, so we have to think about what things in life we look for signs and what things in life we, we look for not signs. But there's something much deeper, and with this I'll end. The boy, the son, is a person's soul. The father is the person's goof. And the soul of many of these guys in this room, including Rabbi Wallerstein, many times the soul says, Yeah, I'm learning! Yeah, I'm davening! Yeah, I'm keeping Shabbos and waiting to put it I don't feel nothing. I'm doing it by rote, because that's going to get me a good shidduch, or everyone else is doing it. I just don't feel it. Rabbi, I don't feel it. I hear it all the time. I don't feel it. So the neshama turns to the goof. And it says to the goof, I need inspiration. I, I, I need another shir. I need some more tire. I need some more davening. I need some inspiration. I need to go to the koisa, whatever it is. And the goof says, you? You know who you are? You know how much work you did to get here? You? You don't need inspiration. I'm very happy with my neshama. Uh, you should have seen me two years ago. You know where I am now. I'm very happy with my neshama. You don't need inspiration. Shama, go, oh. Shama comes back. <sighs> Something wrong here. I'm just I'm not, I'm not connected. I'm not connected. I'm not connected. And again, the goof's like, come on, leave me alone. To go to the Christ, I have to get up for seeking, to stay in the base medicine at night. Leave me alone. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I have no kayak. And then the Shama pushes the goof. So the goof starts to find reasons that it's minashamayim that I shouldn't do this. And the goof starts to find, I'm too tired. Oh, you see, I wanted to do this, and I came to share, and then I got stopped by a cop, and I missed the share. So you see, it's not meant to be that I should go to that share. Because it was meant to be, everything would have worked, everything would have worked perfectly. I set my alarm clock. I really wanted to go to Rosh share, and the alarm clock didn't work. The battery's died. How should I know? Must be, minashamayim, I shouldn't go to the share. And all of a sudden, you find these crazy excuses. And then, boys... After 120 years, the Satan says, when that went wrong, when that went wrong, when that went wrong, who do you think did it? Well, you talk bad about your Rebbe, you talk bad about this God, you talk bad about this and about that, and this guy was on TV, he stole and this guy that, so all the Jews steal and all that, and all these things, all these craziness, all that, the Satan's like, who do you think broke your axle, man? Who do you think did all that? I did! But now you're dead. So you can't do anything anymore, just like the boy. Have a good day. And you find out that you would have taken one more step. You would have been the Gal Hadar. One more step, you would have brought Mashiach. We don't know whose step is going to bring Mashiach. But someone's one more step on that ladder is going to bring Mashiach. You can't let any of this stuff 
It's a, it's, it's, it's a facade. It's the Yitzhahara. He's throwing all these blocks in you. You're like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, I had a boy that just came, just, just, just yesterday, he came to me and says, I don't understand. I came to Israel. I am not talking to girls. This is the one thing I took on. I need to have a good year. I am not talking to girls. He said, Reverend Wallenstein, I haven't had a girlfriend since I'm 15. He's 20. I haven't had a girlfriend since I'm 15. I don't, I, I'm not having anything to do with them. I, he says, I come to Eretz Yisrael and my girlfriend that I have when I'm 15, I go to a restaurant and she's sitting there. What's the percentage? She goes, I go to a restaurant. What's going on over here? I'm trying not to talk to girls. She's like, hey! I can't believe you're in Israel. We can hang out. And I really liked her. He says, what do they want from me? Remember, Lawson, what's the percentage that I would meet her? I don't go out a lot. I went out, she comes to, and I went to a dairy restaurant, whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> like I, it's not like, like you know, not one of the main ones, you know, that we know about, where you meet girls. Like, you're not supposed to meet girls in this restaurant. He's like, what do I want? I'm like, this is it. This is Rav Nachman's story. It's the Yetz Sahara. Sure, he wants to break the axle. And the goof is saying, come on, Neshama. You learn, you do everything you're supposed to. You're the great rabbi. So you can, yeah, big deal. You talk to a girl once in a while. It's not going to hurt you anything. And no, it's wrong. It's a trap. The whole thing's a trap. That's what this story in Rav Nachman is. The whole thing's a trap. And in the end, he's going to be laughing at you. He's going to be saying, all that stuff that went wrong that you thought you knew what it was for. It was me, man. It's a horror, but it's too late. I'm not scared of you anymore. You can't do any more mitzvahs. It's after 120. It's always not scared of you. He's scared of you now. He's scared of every boy in this room. He is so scared of you. You can change his world. You can change the whole world. Every guy in this room is a nuclear weapon. One word of title. One minion. One minion. One saying, no, I'm not talking to this girl. No, I'm not doing this. One no. You can kill him. He is so scared of all of you. But he's not scared of you after you're dead. He has no fear of anyone in this room after you're dead. He's only scared. Is this guy going to get on that ladder? Is this guy going to step on the 700 at first step? I'm going to do whatever I can to stop him. I am scared of this guy. He could destroy me. He could bring Mashiach. He could destroy me. He could break me. He could push me right off the cliff with Azazel with the Sa'ir on Yom Kippur. This guy could push me out who knows where. That's the Kayach of you while you're here. Once you're not here, he's not scared of you no more. He's not scared of nothing. But he's scared of you now. Take the shot. Take the shot. It'll go in if you need it to. So I want to wish you all two bishvat, a yantif, that this yantif, you should realize your potential. Because potential in Judaism is something to celebrate. So let's celebrate. Good yantif. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.